0: What a great privilege is mine to be able to share God's Word with you today. I'm grateful for the invitation from Pastor Baker. There's uh, something that I want to tell him uh, from myself and on your behalf. We would desire that uh, you were here, and I was not. And uh, I pray as you love these people that you sense that you are much loved, my friend, and we look forward to God restoring you and uh, hearing your voice again. And I was uh, glad to hear mentioned this at the early service, glad to see, actually, uh, David and Linda Hulse and their uh, ministry to couples. I know that they look like they're about, well, Dave looks about 36, and Linda looks about 26, but 41 years ago, when I left for Cape and Ray Bible School, In the testimony I gave that day, I thanked two people, the one who led me to Christ and Dave Hulse, who at that point was our youth sponsor, and so I'm glad to see them continuing in the service of the Lord. Today we come back to 1 Corinthians, and we want to consider as we look at relationships and the deepest and closest relationship possible, what God has to say to us. Let's watch.
1: We live in a grave new world, at war with Christianity, and Christians have some big-time spiritual catch-up work to do. We have been privatizing our faith while we are publicizing our sin. We are minimizing our engagement in God's community and maximizing the impact of an unhealthy crowd. We have access to all kinds of superstar Bible teachers but have never been more biblically illiterate. We have bodies to house God's glory, and we use them as immorality dumping grounds. We have an awesome God who loves us and gave himself for us, but we make love to his enemy. We use our freedom as a license to cast off all restraint. Supernaturally, we have been given tremendously powerful gifts, and we either abuse them, misuse them, or allow them to sit in disuse. We have minimal energy for eternal things and endless reserves and margin for things that won't last. After all these years, our immature, premature faith is in the way of really doing life together.
0: doing life together in the 21st century. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He was in Ephesus at the time. He had spent some 18 months in Corinth, was the founder of the church there. But by the time that he writes somewhere in the spring of perhaps 55, there had been within the church great division. Immorality, one-upmanship, and as Paul has called them to unity, he now gets to the section in the book where we might call it a question and answer period. Maybe you have read a book or had a speaker and when the book was finished or when the speaking was done, you wanted to say, hey, I wish I could have some questions and answers because I've got some questions based on what I'm seeing taking place. And as Paul gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll notice beginning in verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Stop there. Paul is not giving them a command at that point. Paul is quoting back to them what their concern was. There was such immorality that infected every part of Corinthian society up to and including their worship that there were those in the church at Corinth who had determined this. Celibacy is the way to go. Whether you are married or not, don't have any sexual relations, and if you don't have any sexual relations, then that will help you deal with this problem of immorality. And thankfully, the Apostle Paul, who says with the rest of us who are married, that's nuts, Paul says this, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality... Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Stop there. For husbands and wives, Paul makes it very clear that you are to have an active sexual life. That if you are the husband then you need to be engaging with your wife regularly in sexual relations. If you are the wife, you need to be engaging with your husband regularly in sexual relations. Now, some of you have said, man, this has been worth coming already. Okay, three of you. We look at this And here's what I'm so grateful for, how absolutely down-to-earth God's Word is. That Paul is giving instructions to the church at Corinth and to us in the midst of a sex-crazed society to say, here's how to protect your marriage. Here's how to make it strong. Here's how to do what you can do To make sure your marriage doesn't fall apart because when God made us sexual creatures within marriage that sexual union is simply not the coming together of two physical bodies something mystical something spiritual occurs when we engage in sexual relations that happens in no other way so Paul is saying do this on a regular basis now you don't have, whatever society might say, if you have engaged in a marriage relationship, you don't have the right to say, uh-uh, not me, not now, never, or almost never. You don't get to say on a regular basis that I have had a headache for nine months, I've had a headache for 13 months, or whatever it is that you need to engage in sexual relations with husband and wife together. Anyone else? Notice what he says. Each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And what's that going to do? The temptation to sexual immorality and Satan's ability to tempt us is weakened when we engage in sexual relations how does that happen this all around us we are bombarded with sexual images and he's made us sexual creatures and there is a temptation to have sexual relationships and God isn't saying no that's bad He's saying, it's absolutely right and here's where I designed it. Within the marriage relationship. Now, what Satan's tried to do, which he's always done with everything that God made perfect. He's always tried to take it and twist it and make something evil out of what God says is fundamentally good and fundamentally right. And if you are in that mode of saying, no, 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 I'm going to be uh, holier than thou, and and we're not getting there. You're going to fall into the trap of temptation yourself, or you're going to fall, cause your uh, wife or husband, similarly, to be tempted by Satan himself. Now, let me be clear on this point if you're here today and you're cheating on your spouse or you're thinking about cheating on your spouse do not come to this text or any other text and say, I have a justification before God for my cheating behavior because my wife has been as cold to me as a fish over these last number of months or over these last number of years. And look, I mean, if she was really doing her part according to First Corinthians chapter 7, then I wouldn't be struggling like this and, and I wouldn't be cheating. Nonsense. 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 If you're cheating today, the person that's responsible for that is you, not your spouse, not someone else. You can't, you cannot give me a reason that will cause me to say, "Oh, okay, now I understand." Up to and including, if your spouse was in, if your spouse was cheating, if you came and say, "Well, I'd, because he cheated on me or she cheated on me," uh-uh, we are called to purity. The world around us may suggest one thing. The church of the Lord Jesus as couples and as a church say, we are committed to biblical purity and we will have healthy marriages and a healthy marriage includes a healthy sex life. I can get a little passionate about that. Because you've seen, and I've seen, way too many failures. You've seen, and I've seen, way too many families fall apart. We've seen too much trust shattered. We want to return today and say, I have a commitment before God to purity. Gentlemen, because this plague seems to hit us more than it hits our wives, I want to recommend to you that at any point that you are on the internet that your wife has full and open ability to see where you have been, to see the sites that you have visited, to see. What in the world, you're doing with your time when you're on there. One has suggested this. Always have the screen pointed towards the door or have the screen pointed towards where someone else could see and see what's taking place. Why do you do that? Because you do everything that you can possibly do to protect your marriage. This text says that Satan himself sets out to see your marriage destroyed. Satan's design for us is never that he would just trip us up. Satan's design for you is that you would be destroyed. Many years ago at Moody Pastors Conference, Darrell DeHousey, who was then the senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church, preached on the one verse in the Bible that pastors believe the least, which certainly got our ears perked up to listen. And he preached on this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Sometimes we think if we just straightened out our spouse that everything would be fine. All of hell is set against your marriage succeeding. All of hell is set against your family unit. So you need to do whatever you can possibly do to on one hand protect your marriage and on the other hand strengthen your marriage. You do that, he says in this text, through regular sexual relations. And if you're saying to yourself, Steve, at this point you have left out one whole group in our church and that's the group of singles Paul doesn't and we won't take your Bibles and look with me again at verse 6 now as a concession not as a command I say this I wish that all were as I myself am most consider that Paul was a widower at this point in his ministry but each has his own gift from God one of one kind and one of another. You're a single today. God's desire for you is that you would view your singleness as a gift from Him. That you are a special gift to the body of Christ and you can do in your singleness what some other people can't do in their married lives. We had four boys in five years. Our household was taken up with family stuff. And if you're here with young kids, you just know that it's like family stuff all the time. That's a good thing. But singles have a unique gift from God in being able to minister in ways that those of us who are married, and especially with children, cannot. We need to help our singles. And we need, when we see singles, we need to celebrate with them as opposed to hanging our heads and saying something like this, she's 50 years old and we just wish she'd find a man. Are you really wanting to suggest to somebody that their entire life to that point has not been fulfilled because they don't have a man in it? Are you wanting to say to a single guy, you don't have a woman in your life, you're not married, therefore somehow you're less? Not at all. Consider it the gift that God has given. I invite you and encourage you to include Singles. You're having folks over to your home. Make sure that you're single so that singles aren't way over here in one group and then there's the rest of us. No. Because we're family together. We're the body together. It may be this week that it's time for you to make a call and invite for coffee or invite for a meal or whatever it is, a single because you're celebrating what God has given to this group of people as a family. All that helps us with purity and order within the family of God. But Paul not only wants purity and order within the family of God, he also speaks now to the issue of stability within the family. Stability within the church and stability within society. Stability in the family unit, frankly, is put in this way. If you're married, stay married. Hear God's word. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. If they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. What's that look like to us? There are some who may be here that when you were married, you were an unbeliever and your spouse was an unbeliever. And now you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. What do you do? Because your spouse isn't a believer. Your spouse may actually be anti-Christian and not appreciate whatsoever the changes that have taken place in your life. Paul says, stay there stay there. Why is that? Because as a believer in the Lord Jesus, there's special blessing upon your life because you are in Him. And we may not be exactly sure of what Paul means when he says, stay there because you make your spouse holy and your children holy which is set apart we know this that in some unique way under that umbrella of grace that has been poured into your life that grace will impact husband unsaved wife unsaved will impact children who are growing up in a home where if the Christian absents themselves, then that fundamental relationship on those kids is broken. What do we do as a church? Do you know that there's some people here today that one of the loneliest hour and a half they spend in an entire week is when they come here. Because for the rest of the week they're together with their unsafe spouse, but maybe their unsafe spouse won't come. So every week they get dressed and they go off to church and come here and, and there's an ache inside. We don't just pray for them, although we certainly ought to pray for them. We as a local church can be involved. You discover if you've got a friend who has an unsaved spouse. If it's a guy, find out what he's interested in. We're in the midst of the football season. Pastor Rick and I, we cheer for different teams, but both are doing abominably. But a Super Bowl is coming. And maybe what you could do is have a Super Bowl party, and maybe that unsaved man wouldn't come to Calvary with you, but will come to your house to watch the Super Bowl. Now, you don't have to do one of these things where at halftime, you know, you... uh, really lay the gospel on them, etc., you befriend them, have them there for a Super Bowl party. Now, I'm a sports fan, so I'll tell you this. Maybe they like the generals. So if they like the generals, and my goodness, you got a Memorial Cup winning team, then take them down to the center and watch the game with them. Just include them in life. Because as you include them in life, and the same goes for ladies, find out what that unsaved lady likes. Maybe she won't come to coffee hour, but man, maybe if you were to design, oh, I don't know, a trip to Toronto, or, well, Canadian dollars pretty bad for going to Buffalo, but you design a trip and say, hey, here's where our interests are. I want to be together with those interests because our goal is to help that saved man or that saved woman, see their spouse come to Christ. Now, wouldn't it be rather exciting if across this auditorium in the days and months and years to come, there were testimonies given of, i got to tell you, this church loved me into the kingdom. That my spouse loved me and prayed for me and witnessed to me, but the fact was, as a body this church was involved in seeing me come to Christ. Over Thanksgiving weekend, we were in Montreal at the church that we had the privilege of pastoring. And there were five baptisms that morning. And as they gave testimony, they weren't giving testimony that they came to Christ as a result of being in a church service. Testimony after testimony was this. People had taken them under wing. People had befriended them. And as a result of the relationships that they had in a local church, the Holy Spirit of God used that in their lives to see them come to Christ. Now, wouldn't that be exciting to see in years to come, in months to come, that same kind of witness and testimony here over and over again? Okay, I'm a patient guy, and I think that that's uh, a pretty exciting thing. So you can do the Canadian thing if you like, which is, hmm At least let me know that you're, you're with, you got an extra hour of sleep last night, so there's no excuse. Uh, just give me the, uh-huh, yeah, that would be exciting. And I know it's happened here. We want to see it happen again and again and again. And there are some people who are sitting here right now who are desperate for that to happen for their spouse. They've been desperate for a long time. And they're desperate today. So we set ourselves to say this. As they encourage and pray for and bless their spouses. We want to be involved with that. Bring stability in the home. What stability look like then in the local church? Beginning in verse 17 again, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. What's taking place? There were those that had been born into a Jewish home According to the law, they were circumcised on the eighth day. But now that they had come to Christ, it was almost like there was maybe some embarrassment about their background, about what they would come out of. So there was a desire for them to look like that they were not circumcised. And then there were others that looked at their background and they weren't circumcised And they were a little bit ashamed of that and and thought that it would be better if they were circumcised. Paul's saying, in terms of the background from which they came, neither matters. What matters is obedience, not the background, not what you might have come out of. What matters is present day obedience. I grew up in this place. I don't remember ever not coming to Calvary Baptist, It's the way it was. I trusted Christ when I was eight, I was baptized when I was thirteen, and uh, I remember getting to Cape and Ray and the president of the school had been a comic before he came to Christ. He was one of the funniest preachers that I've ever heard, but he was a drunk when he was a comic, and uh, we were in rooms of ten, so one night us ten guys invited Billy to come up to our room and just talk to us. There's another guy there with a background similar to mine, and he said, well, Billy, you know, you're, you're a drunk and you have this wonderful testimony of God's grace. Like, what, what about us that, like, we haven't done anything, there's nothing really exciting about, you know, we don't even get to sing Years I Spent in Vanity and Pride because we got saved so young. And he said this to us. When I was a drunkard, everybody knew I needed help. When I came to Christ, they weren't specifically happy that I'd come to Christ They were specifically happy that I'd got my life straightened out. Said, but there are hundreds and thousands of really, really good people who haven't done anything, who need to hear that they need the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior to trust Him alone, to be saved by His grace alone. So whether your background here today is one that is desperately dark. Or whether you came out of a situation like I did where life was uh, you know, pretty good, I, I didn't smoke a cigarette. That's the way it was. Either way, forget that and concentrate on this. I will concentrate on being obedient to what God says today. That in terms of what's going to make our church effective is not the backgrounds that we've come from, but our obedience today. When a watching Durham region looks at Calvary, what will mark them is this. That man, there's a group of people who take Jesus seriously and take His word seriously, and when God says it, they obey it. Doesn't that let us off the hook? To say, "Hey, what I'm responsible for is today's obedience. Bring stability to our churches. How about to society? Verse 21: "Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You should not take this passage of Scripture and use it to support the notion that Paul was in favor of slavery. Not at all. What Paul does is he speaks into the reality that was that culture. And there were those in that culture that were slaves and had come to Christ. And There they are as slaves having come to Christ. And Paul says to them, rather than spending all your time being worried about a slave, about being a slave and all that that has for you, Remember this, when you came to Jesus Christ, He made you free from the inside. And whatever slavery man may impose upon you on the outside, Christ has made you free indeed. And focus on who and what you are in Christ. If on the other hand, you're free and you've really made it in life. And all those around would look and say, wow. Look at what that person has accomplished in life. You remember this. You may consider yourself free, but you are a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He didn't save you so that you could do whatever you like. He saved you so that you could do whatever He likes. You see how that balances off? Because there may be... Some of you that say today, my circumstances, if only my circumstances would change, then I would be much better off in my Christian life and it would be easier for me to serve. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Focus on the fact that you're free in the Lord Jesus. Focus on the fact that you're free in Him. A few years ago, Annette and I were privileged to visit the country of Vietnam, and we had gone back into hills above Hanoi, and we got to visit this one lady. She had been named by others Joy. She was allowed to leave her town and go to Hanoi, once a year because the government wanted her to have as little contact with other believers as she could have. When we went to visit there were eight of us and two of us went to visit at one point and then two of us slipped around after they had left another way into visit because they knew that she was under watch. You would expect, perhaps, in that scenario, for her to be complaining about being under watch, having some basic rights and privileges taken from her. What we discovered is, man, when they named her Joy, they nailed it. Because she had such joy in the Lord Jesus, She put us to shame. So her background, even though she was in a sense enslaved to what the government was doing, she had found she was free in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ today, He isn't so much concerned about making you happy in your circumstances as He is in making you holy in your circumstances. And I invite you, in Jesus' name, to rejoice in the freedom that's in Him. But if perchance you're looking around and seeing sort of blessing in your life and saying, I must really have it together as a believer because, I mean, look at what I've accomplished in life, would you please remember today that anything God has given you, He's given you with the understanding that you are not your own. You're bought with a price. That you are not your own. You're a bond slave to Jesus Christ in obedience to Him. Can you see the kind of impact It has on a group, on a city, on a region, when there are people who are saying, Jesus Christ has made me free. Other people may look at your circumstances and say, I don't know how you can be the way you are in such tough circumstances. And you get to tell them, the reason is because Jesus Christ has set me free. If somebody says, hey, what a wonderful brain you must have, or what kind of business acumen you must have, and you get to say, no, the fact is, is that in Jesus Christ, I've been blessed. I owe it to him. I belong to him. That's the kind of testimony that transforms society. We're called to a lifestyle of order and purity, we're called to a lifestyle of stability. We're called to a lifestyle of simplicity. I mentioned this in the early service, and the same has happened in this service. Uh, I I know we got an extra hour of sleep last night, but I don't want to take it up all right now. And, yeah, you're with me. You You won't acknowledge when I say somebody's saved, and I talk about extra sleep, and all of a sudden you're all smiley. The rest of the passage... Paul calls us to a life of simplicity. Back to verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undevotion, undivided devotion to the Lord. What's he telling them? That as they go through life, you can end up focused totally on the things of this life. And if you end up totally focused on the things of this life, you discover this. It'll eat up all your time. It'll eat up all your thoughts. And it's soon over. It's soon over. He calls the people of God to have the long view. To have the long view. I stand here today, I I, I know I was up here 41 years ago, I can't believe that. Somebody in my house is turning 60 in January and I look in the mirror, it's me. I don't know how that happened. It's gone. Pastor Rick and I can remember like the early days when we were the up-and-comers. Right? And here we are. Folks, I want to encourage you in this, that you look and you say, I am not going to get so bound up in the way life is now that I forget the long view, that I forget that what God has ultimately caused me and called me to have as my eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus to run the race that He has for me here. But long term, ultimately, it's a new heaven, a new earth. It's eternity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just a song that we affirm as important as that is and was this morning but to say that's the reality for eternity so I'm going to set as much as possible as I can eternal goals that my concerns will be eternal and leave this stuff with him there's a danger in every generation. Jeremiah spoke to it in Jeremiah chapter 2 when he recorded for the people of God, God's complaint about His people in that generation. There were two complaints. He said, one, my people have left me the fount of living waters. And two, they've built for themselves cisterns that will not hold water. And there's lots of people that are offering us a variety of answers in this whole complexity of marriage. And there are lots of people who are giving us answers to the complexity of the local church. And there are lots of people that are giving us answers to the complexity of what takes place in society. And we dare not be digging cisterns that hold no water. The hymn writer many years ago put it this way. I've tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but all the waters failed. And as I stooped to drink, they fled. And mocked me as I wailed. Hear the, hear the refrain. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's life and love and lasting joy Lord Jesus found in Thee. Whether it's at home, whether it's our background, whether it's our place in society, none but Christ can satisfy. If you've never trusted Him, would you do that today? If you have sat here perhaps for many weeks or for many years and you know the good news of the gospel but you've never trusted the Lord Jesus. Would you trust him today and discover the reality of the fount of living waters? If you're in a marriage that's troubled, would you continue to trust God and believe him and be obedient to his word? Would you be involved in helping marriages that are in trouble get healthy again? Would you be involved in encouraging singles that are here and hurting so that together we might say our all sufficiency is in the person of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. For your word, our Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for the clarity that you bring to our lives. I pray for hurting hearts today, for broken hearts they would find in the person of the Lord Jesus their healing and all they need. May this be a place that continues to be a lighthouse in Durham region and around the world for the cause of the Lord Jesus and for His glory alone. We commit ourselves to that because we pray in the strong, the magnificent name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God, our Heavenly Father, the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide on us all, now and forever. Amen.